0: 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Let's pray, and then we will read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. And Lord, as we look at this, and we understand that this this is dealing with ministry, our ministry, our individual ministry, our collective ministries. That Father, we understand that there is a battle, there is a war. There are two worlds in opposition. One has absolute victory. The other one has absolute deceit. Help us, Lord. Help us to have ears, to hear, eyes to see. But Father, help us have a heart, a mind, a soul that stands in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Father, even when the darts, the fiery darts are fired at us, we do not waver from your word. We humbly Proclaim it, and we humbly watch what the King of kings and Lord of lords does with the word as it is proclaimed. Thank you, Father. Thank you for our brother Paul. Thank you for this letter to the Corinthians. And, Father, how it is so fitting to the church in the United States today. Teach us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 14, chapter 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light and darkness? Or what harmony has Christ and Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I got this section, I called it um, Separation. And, and it is blocked in by 10 points of love. But in this text, I've watched it misused probably more than it's ever been correctly used. And the tragedy is the correct use is what will strengthen ministry. Okay? If you're saved today, you are a minister. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You have a mission to serve that God has already allotted to you. Okay? In doing so, there are certain things that you and I have to do. And one of them is in this stretch of of scripture between verse 14 and 7-1. And it starts off with a a simple but a profound statement. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Okay. Some of your translations may say unequally yoked. It goes back to Leviticus. Leviticus says you do not use a donkey or or an ass to plow. You can't cut a straight line. Duh. Okay, but God's law says that and he's basically using the same terminology that you can't be in this place. And he started it off there in verses 14 and 15 with four questions. Okay, and I want to go back to those questions just briefly because I want you to see one is partnership. One is fellowship. One is harmony and the other one is common. That's the questions, the rhetorical questions. The answer is always going to be no. And okay, what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Absolutely impossible. There's nothing there that can work. Okay, what fellowship does light and darkness have? Can, I mean, can they hang out together? No, you can't. What harmony has Christ with Belial? Belial is the Greek term for Satan. Uh, it means utterly worthless one. Christ and the utterly worthless one. He who is worthy and the utterly worthless one. What what do they have in harmony? And the word is symphony. The word we get symphony from. Okay? And there's nothing in common between a believer and an unbeliever. Okay? Now, this text is not telling us to be monastic. I mean, monks. It doesn't mean go hide and do not be around unbelievers. Okay? Because it says as you are going, you are going to make disciples of All nations. So you're going to be in the world, but I'm a pilgrim. I'm passing through. Okay? So that ain't what the text is talking about. Okay? It can't be to, well, don't go into business with unbelievers. Because that's not what the text is talking about. Nowhere in there does it say that. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, do not do business with unbelievers. Okay. But it doesn't say, well, if you're married to an unbeliever, this gives you grounds to divorce because you're not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. That's not what this text is teaching. Has nothing to do with it. Okay. So you start throwing out the things that everybody likes to use it for. All right. Because that's what they use it for now. Okay. Well, I can divorce because we're unequally yoked. Or I don't have to be in business with this guy because, you know, They're an unbeliever. Well, you're not going to be taken out of the world. You're in the world. You're here for the presentation of light to darkness. You're here to show righteousness to lawlessness. You're here to show Christ over Satan. All right. So he gives us these four questions. And he's basically in those four questions. You see, it is senseless to be joined with these. Absolutely senseless. But he moves into the next one in verse 16. What I call idolatrous. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are the temple of the living God. Stop right there. He makes a fifth question and he's bringing out a point of idolatry. This is his second point. What agreement... Does the living God have with an idol? And go read Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah, Jeremiah had, a, had a thing with idols. Okay. He says they're dumb and mute. And the same ones that you carve to worship, you throw to start your fires. What sense is that? And that's true. Okay. Let me share with you something. This text is dealing when you are in worship... Or in ministry. Okay, now ministry is serving. I'm serving on the eternal plane. That's ministry. Worship is in the eternal plane. Anytime I'm doing those things, praising God, I am not to ever be bound with an unbeliever. Unequally yoked. Okay, now let me show you this because you and I miss this. I know we do. I've been around long enough. I've seen this. And yet, I have to ask myself a question. Is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Are we sure? Because you may not like what I'm about to say. But the only way you're going to get around it is, well, He's changed. Okay? False religion. Anything other than true Christianity is demonic worship. Do you understand that? Listen, an idol is nothing. A statue. I don't care what it is. We can idolize just about anything. An idol is nothing. It can be stone, wood, clay, silver, gold, marble. Remember the golden calf? Okay, that was a bunch of melted down jewelry. Okay, but all of a sudden now they're going to worship the golden calf. Okay, whatever and whenever it is done with this idol... It is absolutely, understand this, nothing. Nothing. But the religion and ideology that it stands for is the teaching of demons. It is equal to the lies of the pit of hell. It is the doctrine of the devil. I don't, now, listen, I want to be frank about this. Okay? Okay? There's no error in this. It is a lie. And you are worshiping demons. The methodology that is behind it is demonic. It is empowered by demons, fallen angels. It comes, as Paul would say, from seducing spirits. Demons impersonate the idol. But you're worshiping the demon. It is a demon. That has created. All religion. Other than Christianity. Do you hear what I said? All religion. Other than Christianity. Is created by demons. And when you enter in that religion. You are now having relationship. With the worshiping. Of a demon. Paul talked about it. First Corinthians. Communion with demons. How can you have the table with Christ. And communion with devils. Listen. The Old Testament calls the gods of. In, in The little gods in the Old Testament. We'll look at them here in a minute. They are the gods of the nations. And they are. Demons. So, understand that he who leads and he who teaches is being done by what? Can you dare say that? Yep. Demons. Demons. So, the question is, what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? Or the house of Demons. Well, the question is really simple, isn't it? None. You cannot mix devil worship with the worship of God. Right? I mean, do you have to be a theologian to get that? Christianity is completely different than every form of idolatry. And it has absolutely nothing in common with it. Listen, I wish, I, I don't have the words to tell you how important an issue this is. Demons are seducing spirits. They are deceiving as angels of light. They go to seminary. But, it's been going on a while, but I, I am convinced that in this day and age... Um We have no understanding of how urgent and important that this is. I know we don't. Uh, I have watched it, I have listened to it, I have been amongst the saints, I have been amongst quote unquote churches, and I have watched it over and over again, and most of the time, when you think about an idol, you think about somebody 's little cute little statue and they put a little candle around there and light some candles around it, and it goes, Oh, you to do the p v d d and whatever right. Let me show you something because I don't want you to think that this is a new phenomenon. Go to 2 Kings, chapter 21. We'll start there. Manassas was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem and his mother's name was Hetzpha. Manassas, king of Israel. He reigned in Jerusalem, beginning in verse one, chapter 21, Second Kings. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord deposed before the sons of Israel. Okay, we throw that word abomination around a lot, don't we? We like to say homosexuality is an abomination you read this? Have you read this? This falls into the abomination term. Look what he says. What did he do that was classified as an abomination of the nations? He rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab king of Israel had done. And worship all the hosts of heavens and serve them. You know what he did? Idolatry. He went back to worshiping demons. He stepped away from worshiping the true God. And went. And he's seen what it caused. He's seen the heartache that Hezekiah had to endure. But look what he says. The Asherah is a female deity. Okay? I want to show you something here. He built how altars where? You know where that is, right? You know where the house of the Lord is? That is in the temple. He built altars to demonic leaders, false gods, false teaching, false religion, and he built them in the house of the true living God. In the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. When you see that in the Old Testament, understand name is everything that he is. I will be everything that I am in the temple of my house in Jerusalem. And you have the audacity to put a statue of a female deity in my presence. Altars to demons in the house of God. Verse 5. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven. You know who the hosts of heaven are? Fallen angels. They were in heaven. They were part of the host. One third fell. And they're all running around down here making their own little makeshift religions. To get people to worship them. He built the altars for the host of heavens and the two courts of the house of the Lord in the outer court and the inner court. He had altars to false gods. He made his son pass through fire. You know what that is? Balak. The worship of Balak. You know what Balak was? If you look at the Temple Mound in Jerusalem, okay, from the south, okay, it rises up on this way. Over here is the Kidron Valley. And then on that side, just a little across the valley, is the Mount of Olives, okay? It goes up, Temple Mound, okay? You know it by the Dome of the Rock. sits on it, okay? And then it drops off, but it doesn't drop off very far. But it used to be a big valley. You know what it's called? That valley was called? The Valley of Hinnom. It's the word we get Gehenna from. You know what Gehenna is? Hell. The Valley of Hell. And Jerusalem used it as a trash dump. That's where they take their garbage. They throw it in the Valley of Hinnom. Where else would you put your garbage? I mean, if I'm going to throw my garbage away, I might as well throw it in hell. Right? But Israel... God's chosen people. Those who had the oracles of God. Those chosen by God. God had done great and mighty things. Decided they would get into children's sacrifice and would cast them into the valley of Hinnom. From Moloch. Because the garbage would be decomposing waste. And there would always be a fire there. That's why they called it Hinnom. And they would throw their children off the temple mound into that hole, that pit, and worship to Moloch. Listen, this isn't a pagan culture, people. These are people who have the word of God. This is the people who had prophets of God come and tell them to stop. He watched them, they watched him drive armies out. He gave them a land that he promised them. And their worst, there's child sacrifice. That's what Manassas is doing. He's bringing it back. He had his son pass through the fire. He practiced witchcraft. He used divination. He dealt with mediums. He used spiritualists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking Him to anger. Then he set the carved image of Ashtoreth as the female deity that he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David, to which his son Solomon in this house in Jerusalem, I have chosen all the tribes of Israel and I will put my name forever. And he puts a statue of a female deity in the court. I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I have gave their fathers. If only they will observe and do according to all that I have commanded them, according to the law of my servant Moses had commanded them. Verse 9. They did not listen. They did not listen. It wasn't a hidden truth. It wasn't like someone knows what Moses' commandments are, but they're not telling They all knew. But it says they did not listen and Manasseh seduced them to do evil more than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Their false worship was worse than the pagans that were driven out in front of them. Courtyard of the temple child sacrifice of infants provoking God to anger statue of a woman in the temple of where God put his name all that he is the Lord spoke through his servants the prophets saying because Manasseh the king of Judah has done these abominations having done wickedly more than all of the Amorites did who were before him and has also made Judah sin with his idols because they followed his seduction Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such calamity on Jerusalem and Judah and whoever hears of it, both their ears will tingle. I will stretch over Jerusalem and the line of Samaria, the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I'm thinking he's serious about this. What do you think? You know what he did? He wiped Jerusalem like he would wipe a dish. The Assyrians and the Babylonians, and they were all driven from the land, and the temple was obliterated. It's one of them, told you. They did more evil than the idolaters of the nations that God had destroyed. And the Lord brought a prophet and says, You don't change Judah. I will wipe you as a dish and turn you upside down. You know what he's just told you and me right there? You do not bring false religion into the house of God. No. Period. It's a non negotiable. And he is serious about it. One thing God will not tolerate is idols in his temple. It's the ultimate insult. It's blasphemy. You cannot bring an idol into God's house. But. You cannot bring God. Into an idol's house. Corinthians. You can't go to the festivals of idols. You can't go. You can't go. I'll prove it to you. 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. As common in the book of the two letters of Samuels, Israel is fighting with the Philistines. (laughs) I mean, you can just sort of wrap that up and say, okay, we're going at it with the Philistines. Here's what happened. Verse 2, chapter 4, 1 Samuel. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. Stop right there. Wait a minute. That's God's chosen people. They're supposed to be running the Philistines and the Amorites and the Edomites and all these other people out. We're supposed to get the ites out. Okay, and they go to battle, but you have to understand something. Who's the high priest of Israel? History, history, history. Eli. Okay, Mr. Wonderful. Okay, and his two wonderful sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Okay, such godly men the world has never seen. The Philistines whipped them. 4,000. The Jews go back to their encampment. They're in full retreat. Here's what they say. When the people came back to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? I know what we did wrong. See, they conclude. Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. You know what they call that where I grew up? Superstition. Let me take my rabbit's foot and I'll whoop him. Okay? You know what happened? We got down here and got into battle and God wasn't with us. We got to go up and get God out of shallow. Bring him down here. Okay, now wait a minute. I thought these were the ones who knew that the waters fit in the hollow of his hand and the span of his hand was creation. I thought they were the ones who understood that God was among them. See what happens? When you have bad teachers, you get bad teaching. You got Eli and his sons are the ones who are spreading the gospel. What is that? God's in the box we are going to take the box. So they go to Shiloh and they get the two sons of Eli and they bring it down. Now watch what happens. This is amazing to me. Verse 4. So the people went to Shiloh. And from there, they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts who sits above the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. They were with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth resounded. They shouted so loud that everything was shaken. Why? God's here. Okay. What is amazing to me, verse six, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout of the camp, they said, what does this noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. The Philistines were afraid. See, they knew the ark is the one that dammed up the Jordan when Joshua brought him across into Jericho. It was the Ark of the Covenant. They walked around the walls of Jericho and it collapsed. It was the Ark of the Covenant that destroyed the Egyptian army and freed the Jews. That God. Uh-oh. Now, the Philistines have multiple gods for everything, but they also know that the Jews have got one God who's evidently a redneck. Nobody can whoop him. And now they brought his box in. Oh, gee. Verse 7, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Wait, didn't they have a guy named, uh, what's his name, Goliath? You would think at some point in here you'd be going, man, I don't know about this. Okay. Woe to us. Who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Okay, then the Philistine general stands up, shakes the dust off. Take courage and be men, O Philistines. You will not become slaves to the Hebrew, as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. I'm going to fight a bunch of Jews and God. Brilliant. So the Philistine fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers and the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they died. Dude, they just killed 30,000 foot soldiers and took God. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. They had concluded we will go get God. We'll bring him down here. He'll whoop the Philistines. 30,000 foot soldiers. I wonder how many cavalry were involved. I wonder how many archers were involved. Well, I do know 30,000 foot soldiers died. But see, there's superstition on both sides. The Philistines have multiple gods. They just realized that their multiple gods whipped the Jews one God. Why? He was in the box. He couldn't even protect himself. The high priest's two sons, they're dead. And we killed 30,000 of their foot soldiers. And the Jews were looking there saying, oh my goodness, the Philistines have God. Israel was already in trouble. They've got probably close to 45,000 dead soldiers. God's gone, and the high priest's sons are dead. But actually, the Philistines are the ones who've got trouble. Because like I said, you do not put idols in the house of God. But you do not put God in the house of idols. Chapter 5. Verse 3. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and they brought it to the house of Dagon. And they set it by Dagon. Dagon was their main God. He was, he was right there by the sea. Okay? The Mediterranean Sea. And he kind of appeased the oceans and things so he didn't get a lot of storms off of it. And it was obvious that Dagon was bigger than the Jews' God because if not, we wouldn't have the box. Okay? We captured this God. We captured a God to destroy the Egyptian army. You know what that makes us? Invincible. They had a great victory. When the Ashdites rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Their false idol was bowing to the box. Okay? God says, I'm bigger than your stone statue. Hmm. So they took Dagon. They set him back up in place again. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon. And both of the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. God said, you didn't get it, did you? You keep setting that thing up. I'll break it in a million pieces. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon, smart guys, nor all would enter into Dagon's house, tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod even to this day. Then the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, and they said, The ark of the Lord, the ark of God of Israel, must not remain with us, for his hands are severed on us, and God, Dagon is our God. I mean, the, the God of that box whooped our statue. Okay. And that's our fault. We shouldn't have set him back up. So they sent and they gathered all the lords of the Philistines. This is the This, this is politicians. They gathered all the lords of the Philistines to them. And they said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they said, let the ark of the God of Israel be brought to guard. (laughs) Get it out of the neighborhood. You know where Garth is, right? They had a great son out of Garth. Remember him? Big tall guy got hit in the head with a rock. Anyway, let the ark go to Garth. And they brought the ark of God of Israel around. And after they brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city. There was great confusion. He smote the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on all of them. (laughs) You can't put God in idols. And even if you keep moving it from temple to temple to temple to temple, it ain't going to work. So they sent the Ark of God to Ercon. Love your neighbors. Here, you take God's box. And the Ark of God came to the Arkanites, and they Arconites cried out, saying, They have brought the Ark of God of Israel to us. Kill us and our people. <laughs> Here's the box they sent, therefore gathered all the lords of philistines and said send away the ark of god of israel and let it return to its own place so that will not kill us or our people for they were deadly confused throughout the city and the hand of god there was very heavy and the man who did not die were smitten with tumors and they cried from the city that went up to heaven all right you got it god has no toleration For idols, whether you take him into the presence of idols or whether you bring idols into the presence of God. Do you see that? Is that clear? God is unchanging. It is not possible for Christianity to be involved with a false God. One more illustration. Ezekiel chapter 8. This is one of the most interesting texts that I've ever read. And, and I still ponder with it. But I want you to think about this for a second. Because I've just given you two. One out of Kings and one out of Samuel. Okay. That you don't put idols in the house of God. And you don't put God in the house of idols. All right. Verse 3, chapter 8. He stretched out a form of a hand. Okay, this is Ezekiel and God's... Watch what he does. He stretched out the form of a hand and he caught me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court. Okay? (laughs) It's like God reached down and grabbed Ezekiel by the back of his hair and yanked him up between heaven and earth and says, look. Okay, that's the picture. He says, I want you to look at the temple, the temple in Jerusalem. I want you to look. The entrance of the north gate of the inner court, where set an idol of jealousy which provokes to jealousy was located. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the appearance which I saw in the plain. Verse 5 Then he said to me, Son of man, raise your eyes now toward the north. So I raised my eyes toward the north, and behold, to the north of the altar gate was an idol of jealousy at the entrance. There's another idol. Okay. You have idols in the inner court of the temple of the glory of God. He said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations, which the house of Israel are committing here so that I would be far from my sanctuary. But yet you will see greater abominations. Greater abominations? Look what he says. Verse 7. He brought me to the entrance of the court, and he says, <clears throat> Where I looked, and behold, a hole in the wall. At the inner court, at the entrance. And he said to me, Son of man, dig through the wall. So I dug through the wall, and behold, an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominations that are being committed, that they are committing here. So I entered, and I looked, and behold, every form of creeping thing and beast and detestable thing with all the idols of the house of Israel carved on the walls all around. They had taken the inner court and had carved on the walls all of these graven images that they could worship other deities in the house of God, where the glory of God is. Standing in front of them were 70 elders of the house of Israel with Jezumiah, the son of Shaphat, Shaphan, standing among them, each man in his, with a censer in his hand and the fragrance of the cloud of the incense rising. Now, he gives you those names there because you need to understand something. You know what that does not say? They were Levites. You had men in the temple of God acting to, as priests who were not Levites. The only ones in the temple of God who can act as priests are Levites. God's word. And they had other people doing it. He said to me, son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark? Each man in the room of his carven images. For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. How many in this room right now thinks the Lord does not see you? He has forsaken the land? Really? Are you still standing here? Then he hasn't forsaken it. Huh. It gets worse. Can you believe it? They think That the Lord does not see them. And he said to me. The Lord said to Ezekiel. Yet you will see still greater abominations. Which they are committing. He brought me to the entrance of the gate of the Lord's house. Which was toward the north. And behold. Women were sitting. There weeping. For Tammuz. You know Tammuz is? That's Baal worship. That's Baal worship. Women were worshiping Tammuz, weeping for her loss. It doesn't stop there. He said to me, do you see this son of man? Yet you will see greater abominations than these. Do you understand where we're at? We're in the temple. He brought me to the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, the entrance to the temple of the Lord between the porch and the altar is about 25 men with their backs to the temple of God. And they're facing toward the east and they were prostrating themselves eastward toward the sun that comes out of Egypt, the worship of the sun. He said to me, do you see this son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they have committed here? That they have filled the land with violence and provoked me repeatedly. For behold, I'm putting a twig in their nose. You know what that is? It's like a ring on a bull. It goes through here. You can grab it by it. You can do anything you want with them." All you do is a little twist like that and their eyes will start watering. And if they don't submit, you can just twist it down. You take their head away from them and they'll hit the ground. That's what he just said here. Therefore, I indeed will deal my wrath. My eye will have no pity, nor will I spare. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet I will not listen to them. 70 years in Babylonian captivity. 70 years. But you know what? They never went into idolatry after that. Kind of fascinating. Lost the temple. It was destroyed. Listen, not only to try to join with false religion is senseless. It's idolatrous. It blasphemes God. And in his lies, it's an abomination. You and I know the abomination phrases. We get them thrown at us every once in a while. That's an abomination. But lying is an abomination. But you want to see the wrath of God unleashed? Take God into a temple of idols. You want to see the wrath of God unleashed? Take idols into the temple of God. Pagan false religion does not mind joining with Christianity. They enjoy it. But we can't allow it. We can't join with unbelievers in worship or ministry. Anything that involves God. We can't invite them to join ours. Can't do it. What agreement, Paul says? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? See, here's the point now. Do you see the seriousness of this? Okay, The seduction of Manassas, that it grew, that it completely adulterated the temple of God. Do you see how important that is? Somebody acknowledge me. (laughs) No, no, no. read it yourself. Do you understand that we are the temple of the living God? We are. And if it's an abomination in the Old Testament, what is it now? And you're asking for the wrath of God. We, individually, Christ is in us. Christ is in you. We are a spiritual house. We are a spiritual temple. It is not made with hands. That is the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. Do you not know you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple, the sanctuary of God, God will destroy him. The temple of God is holy and that is what you are. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22. In whom you are being built together, a dwelling of God in the spirit. We are the temple of God now, brothers and sisters. Do you take God into idolatry? Into demonic worship? Do you bring demonic worship into you? look what he says. Go back to your text there in 2 Corinthians. He gives some statements here. I will dwell in them and they will walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Okay? What he does here is he takes and confirms what he just said by statements out of multiple Old Testament texts. And he's confirming he's confirming his statement by Old Testament Scripture. He's bringing the Word of God to bear on what he's saying. He uses Isaiah 52, 11, Leviticus 26, 11 and 12, Hosea chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Jeremiah 24, 7, Jeremiah 31, 1, Ezekiel 37, 27. He pulls them all together and he says, you are the fulfillment. The living God... That's the phrase he uses right there. You know what he's saying? It isn't a stone. It isn't marble. It isn't wood. It isn't some abstract thing. This is the living God. He uses this to refer that this is not some dumb mute statue that you look at. He uses it in Romans. He uses it in 2 Corinthians here. He uses it in Thessalonians and he uses it in 1 Timothy. And then he makes this statement and you better read it and you better know it well. Just as God said. That is the debate. The living God said. If you try to bring me into a house of idols. Or you try to bring a house of idols into me. You are disobeying what I have said. Those texts are realized in us, the church, today. We are the people of his covenant. We are the people of his possession. We are the people of his dwelling place. We cannot be joined to idols. We cannot unequally yoke for the purpose of God. It's senseless. It's idolatrous. Oh, by the way, if he says it and you go against it, let me try to make this as simple as possible. It's sin. We must understand this. This is foundational to ministry. And the reason most Christians today have an ineffectual ministry is because they have not separated and they bring idols into the presence of God. That is probably the single greatest bane that exists in the church right now. It's foundational to our Christian lives. If he did it in the Old Testament, know that you are all now guilty if you do it in the New Testament. You're without excuse because I just gave it to you. Aren't you happy hanging out with me? but you can't do it you can't bring the two together when it comes to ministry to praising God to worshiping God you cannot do it in a house of idols you cannot bring the idols in and enjoy in their celebration that's why Paul told the Corinthians you cannot go to a festival of idols an idol is nothing but there's a demonic ideology that is behind it and if you worship there guess what you just did You turned your back on the living God to worship a demon. Okay. Straightforward. Right? I have other texts. You want me to go through them? This is a common plague early part of Israel's existence. After Babylon, they sort of like, ooh, bad. Okay. And yet, we are the temple of the living God. How many in the Christian realm right now are bringing demonic worship in? And they wonder why their ministry isn't effective, and they wonder why God doesn't bless them. They're lucky, (laughs) He doesn't give them tumors or plagues. Okay? That is the importance of separation. It is senseless. And it's idolatrous. And God, if there's one thing that I've understood in my study of Scripture, God does not tolerate idolatry. At all. You want to watch His wrath. That does it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Thank you for your word, Father. And I pray that my brothers and sisters have ears to hear. Father, this is serious. And yet, Father... It's so easy to stumble into. Your nation, Israel, your chosen people, did it over and over, and they did it in horrific ways. Father, may we never follow that path. May we never follow that that understanding. May we never be seduced into thinking that it's okay. Help us, Lord, to stand in the truth that is in Christ Jesus. To your praise and to your glory in Christ. Amen.